0: Yes, you are, and welcome on in. It is Ryan Hickey with you right here on a Wednesday. A happy Wednesday to you, and thank you. Thank you for making us part of your week right here on CBS Sports Radio. I am trying my best, I promise. I've been chugging tea. I put a little honey in the tea, try to get my voice any better Um, So far through the first two hours I've been drinking tea, not working. I will keep on trying, I promise. Honestly, I kind of like that. At least my voice is now a little bit deeper, a little bit scratchier. Maybe it makes me sound a little bit more like a man compared to the normal high-pitched tones that I will kind of sound like uh, usually on the radio. So maybe I should stop. Maybe I'll just keep kind of going, ride this good thing while I got it, and sound like a, a man's man, if you will, for the next three hours right here. On CBS Sports Radio. All right. I want to go back to the Stanford-Colorado game on Friday night here for, for one reason. Big, obviously, right? Blown game. 20 to nothing. Uh Colorado's leading against Stanford. Blew it. Lost in double overtime. One of the biggest collapses we've seen in a while. That loss against Stanford, I think, is going to cost Colorado making a bowl game. They're not now going to get to six wins. The rest of the schedule is challenging. I want to ask you this. Colorado, if they miss a bowl game this year, does that take away some of the shine on Deion Sanders? I think it does. I think it does. For all the good he's accomplished so far at Colorado in year number one, not getting to six wins, not making a bowl game, I think undermines some of what he's done in year number one. You and this is this part's not even directed at Dion himself. This is more directed on a lot of his fans and frankly, sycophants out there. But you can't have it both ways. You cannot praise Dion Sanders and Colorado when they're three and zero. Talk about him going to the NFL. Talk about him taking any job anywhere that he wants, and every SEC team should hire him, and he should be the the heir to Nick Saban's throne in Alabama. And go back and forth about how Deion Sanders is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Which, side note, I don't know why we keep saying that. Like, there's been plenty of things better than sliced bread. But anyway, I digress. But you can't talk about him like, the you know, one of the greatest things to ever come on this planet. And then, after that 3-0 start, go 2-7 and seven down the stretch, miss a bowl game, and pretend like all is good. All is well. Nothing to see here. Nothing wrong in this picture. You can't have it both ways. There has to be accountability when your season starts off hot and goes right down the tubes in front of our faces. And that accountability starts with criticizing Deion Sanders and his lack of a good coaching job. Look, I'll be honest. I had no idea what to expect from Colorado this year. No idea. I had no idea how good of a coach Deion Sanders was. I had no idea if his son Shador was any good at quarterback. I had no idea what this team was going to look like when you pull 75% from the transfer portal, how they would mesh and come together in one year. So before the season, I would have said three, four wins. Three, four wins in that range. Obviously, they have already matched that total being four and three right now. But to their credit, I did not see a win over TCU on the road in game number one. A win over Nebraska in game number two. And then, look, they made it closer than they should have been. It was actually a very ugly game. They got lucky to win that game. But you beat Colorado State you your 3-0. I didn't see a 3-0 start coming. I didn't at all. I thought for sure they'd be 1-2 with losses to TCU and losses to Nebraska. So even though you have no expectations going in, those expectations change as results come in. And when you're there 3-0, Beating two Power 5 teams. The expectation, bare minimum, is make a bowl game. I remember taking calls on this network. CBS Sports Radio right here. Hosting my normal show, 2 to 6 a.m. Eastern. Hick and Night. So a shameless plug on Saturday mornings. I mean, Saturday evenings. Sometimes Friday nights. Um, on, on CBS Sports Radio right here. And people were saying this team is a dark horse college football playoff contender. They're going to go to the, the Pac-12 championship. They're going to win 10 games. Those are crazy. Crazy. But again, I think at bare minimum, most people would agree inside up four, you're 3-0, oh, okay, go 3-6 and six down the stretch here, get to a bowl game, and that bare minimum is a success. And now you're looking at a Colorado team going into Friday night's game. Last Friday night. At 4-2, you're playing a bad game. Let's not sugarcoat it. A bad Stanford team. And you get the return of arguably your best player in Travis Hunter, who's back for the first time in a month after suffering that, um, the lacerated liver against Colorado State. You think, okay, we got this in the bag. Stanford's a win. Win one more game down the stretch. And again, bare minimum, we are talking about bowl eligibility. Well, as we know, you blow it. And now look at the remaining schedule. Again, Colorado is 4-3. To be bowl eligible, you need six wins. This is the remaining schedule for the Buffaloes. At number 25, UCLA. Home against number 12, Oregon State, with DJ Ui the Clemson transfer, looking really damn good now. Arizona, which don't take Arizona lightly. They smoked number 19, Washington State, on the road. And played Washington, played Oregon, lost to both. Oh, excuse me, played Washington, played USC, I should say. Lost to both, but lost to both by a combined nine points. So Arizona's no easy out, no lay down, throw your jock shop on the field, Then it's over. At Washington State, who, again, is in a little bit of a rough patch right now, but playing up at the Palouse is a tough environment. And at number 14, Utah. Good luck right now getting two wins out of that five-game stretch to go to the bowl game. And when Deion doesn't do it, he absolutely deserves criticism and absolutely deserves blame for bad coaching. For bad coaching. And that's why, for me, if he does not make a bowl game, some of the shine, some of the praise he got needs to be taken back, needs to be reined in. Again, you can't have people basically call you the second coming of Jesus Christ after the first three weeks of the season. And then now, as we're a, we're a month or so removed from that, ignore or say, oh, it's no big deal that this team led by Deion Sanders blew a 29 nothing lead to, uh, to Stanford at home against a bad Stanford team. Is out of 130 teams in the country, 129th in total defense. They are 124th in the country, again, out of 130 in rushing offense, and they are tied for the most penalties in college football. Undisciplined, bad the line of scrimmage, horrendous defense, and couldn't come through to put away a bad stand for team after having many, many chances to bag an easy win. Being 5 and 7 is a massive disappointment for Deion Sanders in Colorado. And he absolutely deserves blame if this season finishes with five wins and they are not bowl eligible. No one, I don't think a lot of people knew what to expect. I certainly didn't. You get up to a hot start. You run your mouth. You talk your talk. For the first three games, you walk the walk. You then just can't falter after a hot start, fizzle out the way he has, and say it's all good. Nothing to see here. No problem. He deserves criticism. Absolutely. For what would be a disappointing year number one. And this is also to me interesting. After the game, after again, blowing a 29 lead to Stanford at home, De'Anne was asked about the loss. And he said the loss in part was because his team not ready for the big time.
1: Right now, we're not built for the moment. We're not built for the moment. Uh, Some of our players aren't built for the moment where they have to make a play or they have to keep contained or they have to make a block or they have to get uh, another yard. We're not built for the moment right now.
0: And who's to blame for that? It's Dion For not getting his players ready to play for the moment, which, at least in this game, he's referring to getting ready to beat Stanford. Not exactly Washington, not exactly Oregon, not exactly one of the best teams in the country. So expectations change when you get off to the hot start Dion and Colorado got off to. And when you start 3-0, you start strutting around, keeping receipts, talking your talk. Again, through three games, walking the walk, but then you fizzle out after that, you finish without bowl eligibility. After starting 3-0, you can't get to six wins. Deion Sanders absolutely deserves criticism for that and deserves to be called what is a bad coaching job. In year number one, And I think it does take some of the shine off of Coach Prime. Undermines some of the success he had at Colorado in year number one. So, what are your thoughts on this? 855 212 855 212 Again, you could tweet me at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. If Colorado, again, at four and three, does not get to six wins, is it a disappointment? Does that take some of the shine off of Colorado for what they've done so far here in year number one? T money. Call from Tucson. What's up, Team Money? Hey, man, good show. Hey, I agree with you. It, it shouldn't be a disappointment. This should be like
2: year zero. He should be building a program like, I don't know, any other normal coach taking over uh, a top, uh, a bigger program. Um, but he cashed all his receipts. He mortgaged forced Folsom Field. He made everybody swear oaths to Field T like Reverend Jones or something. Like he just made it weird really fast. So you beat TCU, who's not that good. You beat Nebraska, right. who's trash. You beat Colorado State, right? You're 3-0. So his first part of the season is weaker than the last half. And Arizona's coming in. Jet Fish is building this program correctly, and they're going to show him what's what. These guys are going to go 5-7. and seven, But if you're using old colloquialism, sliced bread, what about have your cake and eat it, too? They already ate the cake. So that's <laughs> why they are where they are. And then in season 5-7, and seven, they're going to be left, and they have no cake and nothing to show for it.
0: That's a good point, T Money, and I appreciate the call, buddy. By the way, why do they call you T Money? Oh, he's gone. Damn. Maybe next time. Well, we'll get to the bottom of why they call T Money, T Money. But no, that that's again part of for me, again, I came in with no expectations. I said three or four wins. Five wins preseason would surpass my expectation. But again, expectations change as results come in. You start three and zero. You win two games I didn't think you were going to win. Even again, as we see TCU very overhyped and very overrated coming into the preseason ranked number 19, a large part of that was just, I think, purely from the fact that they uh, went to the national title game last year, even though a lot of those pieces that were on that national title contending team last year were not there this year. But it's also one of those things where now you look at this team, when you kind of talk your smack and talk about how receipts are being kept, you have to deliver three games is not delivering six and six. I think again, is delivering a bowl game in year number one. I think anything short of that is not Bob is calling from Pennsylvania. Hello, Bob. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Good, Bob. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you. So I want to give you a perspective on Colorado. What was Colorado's record last year? One and 11. There you go. So, The fact that he came in and say what you want to say about Deion Sanders and his luster and puff and puff and everything else. He turned the roster over with what 75 to 80 new players that he brought in. And the, the, the challenge when you're doing that is bringing in and melding a team together. Yes. I think offensively, they have some right pieces. However, I think on the defensive side, there's a lot to be desired. And those offensive pieces showed up very well those first three weeks. You're right. They probably, you know, if you would have said, i be- am I beating TCU? Probably not at the beginning of the year, but they did win that game. That was a horrendous loss last week. But I think, I don't think, you know, going to the playoffs for a bowl was ne- necessarily an expectation that Dion
0: had in year one. So, if they get to, let's say, win one more game, five and seven, are you saying successful season still? I don't,
1: successful is not the right word, Ryan, but it's on a, a, a trajectory going up compared to what they were.
0: That, you bring up an interesting point, Bob. And you know what? Great call. You are, you, sir, are welcome to call in anytime. That is for sure. That was tremendous perspective from Bob. Appreciate it. That also brings up a point that I'm interested in seeing now going forward. Part of Dion's, for lack of a better word, shtick, right, is being front facing, is getting his name out there, is putting himself and the program on the forefront in front of everyone. The ratings have reflected that Colorado, still to this day, is one of the most watched teams in college football. I wonder from a recruiting perspective now how 16-, 17-year-old, 18-year-old kids view this season at Colorado. Where, again, when you're 3-0, when every single major network is basically fighting tooth and nail to get on your campus to broadcast during the week, to broadcast your game, you're playing at 10 o'clock on a Saturday, everyone's watching. You're playing at 10 o'clock on a Friday, everyone's watching. I wonder, when you start 3-0, and and again, you have The Rock there, you have all these celebrities there, College game day, big noon kickoff, you name it, they're there in Boulder, Colorado. Obviously, if you're a high school kid, you're like, oh, my God, I want to go play for Deion Sanders. I want to play Colorado. I wonder now, going forward from a recruiting perspective, when now you see the wins not coming easily, now you're starting to see the bottom fallout of this team, how that impacts your view of Colorado going forward and how that impacts Deion's ability to recruit. Now, just credit he got the number one recruit in the country in Travis Hunter to go to at the time, Jackson State. Knowing not a lot of people are going to watch his games, he's not going to be talked about a lot on Saturdays each and every year. And he still managed to get the number one recruit a few years ago on his team. Credit to Dion. I wonder if we talk about now recruiting to win, to win at a big level, right? Not just win five or six games. If we're talking about winning conference championships, winning a national championship. You have to recruit at a high level. I wonder how that recruiting is impacted now if Colorado starts off 3-0 and doesn't, at the end of the year, make a bogey. So I want to continue this conversation, 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227. You can tweet me at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. When we return, I want to continue the Dion conversation, but also talk about a coach who is an absolute fraud. Tell you who it is and why we'll return. It's Ryan Hickey with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. It is Ryan Hickey here with you on CBS Sports Radio. Talking a lot about right now Deion Sanders and the coaching job he is doing in year number one at Colorado. I'll circle back to that here in one second. But I want to hit on really fast here a different college football head coach for a completely different reason right now in Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. Dabo Sweeney is a complete fraud. Not as a coach. I'm not taking away his two national championships or ignoring them. He is a complete fraud as a person. He's a used car salesman. His attitude and his viewpoints on really life in general, but especially when it comes to adapting and football, is the reason why Clemson is never going to win another national championship with Sweeney at the helm. This is a guy who leans into anything and everything that benefits him. And as soon as the going gets tough, as soon as the tide turns, he gets defensive and blames others for his failures and or struggles. And so this was wild earlier this week. And Keisha missed it, the latest group of people Dabo is attacking is his own. He is going after his own fans. Take a listen to this clip. Dabo Sweeney is very upset at, listen to this, Clemson fans when discussing and taking calls on Tiger Talks this week about them having too high of a standard for the Clemson football program. We're at a
1: point in our time and I hate that where you know people if you if you don't go undefeated you're you're losers, you're terrible. And it's just such a terrible mindset. You know, and honestly maybe we need to lose a few games and and lighten up the bandwagon. Sometimes the bandwagon can get a little too full. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's the one good thing about going through a little bit of so-called adversity is you really find out, you know, who's with you and who's who's not.
0: Think about what he just said. This Clemson team has two losses. They are out of the college football playoff discussion. Or they're out now for the third year in a row. Think about now, he is blaming – Or getting upset, I should say. He is getting upset that fans are upset that the standard, which used to be championship or bust, is not being lived up to. And he's upset that fans are not seeing Clemson in the college football playoff. Think about how ridiculous that is. Think about how fraudulent that sounds. Look, Dabo deserves credit for building Clemson up to the point where they won two national titles and where he built the standard where it was Clemsoning. Clemson was known for choking, right? They literally made a verb for it, Clemsoning. Choking in the biggest moment. Each and every year, that's what they were known for. To Davo's credit, he single-handedly undid that verb. Took the Clemsoning verb out of the dictionary. By going to the college football playoff on a consistent basis. By winning national championships, plural. And by constantly being featured in the college football playoff. So he deserves credit for building that standard where if you look at it, how many teams right now in college football on a year-to-year basis can truly say championship or bust? National title or bust? I would say four. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and I would say Clemson. The four schools each and every year, it's national championship or bust. So Davo deserves credit for getting in that elite upper echelon of college football programs and raising these standards so high where anything short of raising a national championship trophy is a failure. But you can't build a program up to where you win two national championships when you're in the college football playoffs seemingly every single year since 2015, and now when Trevor Lawrence graduates, you couldn't develop to uh, DJ Ui Angolole. He tried that for a year and a half, didn't work. You're bringing Cade Klubnick, didn't work on the second half of the season. It is not working right now. The second half of last season, I should say, is not working right now this season. You then cannot fire back and play victim and say, oh, I'm just out here coaching a game. These guys and these fans are upset that we're not in the national title picture. How dare they? That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. And that, to me, is a sign of a complete fraud. When things are getting tough, instead of saying, you know what? I got to be better. I built this program up to a certain level, and I, as a head coach, am not having this team live up to that level. I got to be better. We collectively got to be better. That's what you should hear. You should be thankful. Your fans want to win. How many college football coaches do you hear after a game talk about, oh, thank you to the crowd. This is a tremendous atmosphere. Getting so excited for the the fan support and, and impact in the game. For caring. For being invested in the program. And now you have Dabo saying, how dare you want high expectations? How dare you want to achieve greatness? Complete fraudulent comments from Dabo Sweeney again. To me, he's a complete fraud, and that's why you'll never see him and Clemson win another national championship as long as he's there. All right, but also before we were talking about Deion Sanders was 4-2, absolutely blew a game to Stanford. They should not have lost. And now for all the pomp, all the circumstance, all the praise, all the attention Dion and Colorado got through the first month of the season, there is a legitimate and real chance they do not make a bowl game. If they don't make a bowl game, does that impact how you view Colorado? Does that take some of the shine of what Coach Prime was able to do in year number one? I think so. How about yourself? 855-212-4227. Adrian, calling from Alaska. What's up, Adrian? Hello, Adrian. Swinging a mess. Oh, can, can you hear me? Can. What's up, man? Oh, hey, how's it going, man? How you doing? Doing well, doing well. What's on your mind, buddy? Good, good. Hey, man, I heard you started talking about Dion. Man,
2: I thought that was a pretty rough take about my boy, about my boy, Primetime. Man, I think that from for a guy doing really well coming from Jacksonville State. Three yep. real, very very good seasons, and then starting a brand new pro, uh, starting at um, Colorado, brand new gutted roster. Not only that, he beats a ranked team first thing, first week out the gate. Nobody expects it with the talent that he has. I don't think any of us. I don't. Even, I never thought I'd find myself watching Colorado games, but I find myself watching Colorado games because I know Prime clearly. Prime can get the play out whoever because he's winning these ranked games. But at the same time, I do believe that they do need to come back to earth moment because they feel like because he's Deion Sanders, they're just going to get everything that comes to them, which is not the case. So the the loss, I agree, they might not have, they might, they sh- should not have lost that game. But we can, he's, I believe, he will find, he's that great that he will find the positive out of it and still make a bowl. If he does not make a bowl season, I don't think that terrorizes everything. They've won how many games in the last three seasons? I heard somebody say one game last season. He, ha- I don't even think they've won three ga- games over the last couple of seasons. So I just think that he's really good for the area, man. He's well, let me really ask you this really me.
0: fast here, Adrian. When they were 3-0, and when everyone was gassing him up, were you talking any job he wants? Were you talking NFL? Like, wh- What were you saying about a month ago?
2: Oh, man, I, I, personally, man, I, I believe in prime. I believe that prime, like you were talking about these head coaches, I think that some of these guys get them to buy into the system that they, the system that they work into, and it takes a couple of seasons. He's not going to come in any pro, no great coach is going into any program one in the first season and win a national championship. It just doesn't work like that. There's this stuff is there's levels to it. This stuff has been built over periods of time, and I think that he could have had any job, and he can go anywhere, and he's he he will show us what he's going to do with Colorado, man. I believe that we will see them win either a bowl game. They'll be in the college football playoff. It's not the next, not next year, the third year. By I, it, I believe it. I believe it.
0: All right. Well, I appreciate the belief there, agent. I appreciate the call like this. Part of my frustration is partly with Deion. No, actually, no, I shouldn't say that because I think Deion's actually really good for college football, bringing a lot of attention to it. Part of my frustration is when you are riding the wave so high when things are going great, you can't just ignore them when things are going bad and just pretend nothing bad is going on and so many fans, and even Dion himself is playing into this, about how great this team is and, and taking receipts and all, already almost taking a victory lap. You can't do that when you're 3-0, and then all of a sudden now, when things just spiral out of control, still now say, oh, well, we had no idea what expectations were going to be, and this is just year number one. Like, you can buy into it early. Fine. But then admit when maybe you went too far, when you kind of got over your skis. And you maybe gave Dion the benefit of the doubt as a coach before he deserved it. That's all I'm looking for. I'm not saying he's going to be a failure as a head coach. I'm not saying he's doomed for Colorado. I just wanted to see more, more than three games before you crown him as one of the best to ever do it. And that's what a lot of the narrative was. And that's what almost felt like mission accomplished after three games. And it's like, not really you're there to win, right? Like three games, is not define a tenure, Especially against, now you look back, three games against bad teams. That is more my point. Okay, when we return here, it's Ryan Hickey with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. We are basically a third of the way through the NFL season. I want to revisit a take I had about Super Bowl contenders in the preseason. I thought there were only five teams that could win a Super Bowl um, this season. I have now, through six games, up that number to eight. Ryan Hickey here with you. Water is wet, right? The Pope is Catholic, and James Harden causing headaches. All things that are obvious, all things that are true every single day of the week. And yet again on Wednesday, we have learned more and more information now about the latest drama with James Harden and the Philadelphia 76ers that I think at this point is frankly just laughable. It's laughable. James Harden skipped practice on Tuesday because he does not want to be a member of the Sixers. He wants to trade to the Clippers. He's not getting his way. Talks are not going very well. Clippers are trying to lowball the Sixers. Sixers are trying to really maximize their value for James Harden. Look, honestly, I don't even know why the Clippers are wasting their time. There was no offer Philly could make or ask for that would have me say yes on the Clippers. Even if Daryl Morey If I'm the GM of the Clippers or if I'm, you know what, screw it. If I'm the owner, if I'm Steve Ballmer. And Daryl Morey called my phone and said, Ryan, we will give you, give you a million dollars if you take James Harden off our hands. I would say no. If I did not have to give up anything, if I was getting money and getting James Harden just to be on my roster, I am still saying no. James Harden is... Is not worth it. James Harden brings nothing to the table for any NBA team that makes his drama or makes his, frankly, presence worth it. If you're a playoff team, what does James Harden do to benefit your team? If you're the Clippers, how does James Harden, like, seriously get you closer to a championship? The guy sinks in the postseason, he quits everywhere he goes. He changes his mind on a dime. How can you truly sit there if you're L.A. and think, you know what? Yeah, acquiring James Harden is going to make us and get us closer to a championship. You're a fool if you think that. You're an absolute fool. And you're also someone that can't use any logic when thinking. James Harden quit on the Rockets, quit on the Nets, and now is quitting actively on the on the Sixers. Why should the Clippers or any other uh, team think the fourth time is the charm? James Harden is basically the toxic girl at the bar. Very pretty, sitting there by herself, drinking martini. And you wonder, how is a pretty girl like that at a place like this? And why is no one talking to her? I'm going to go shoot my shot here. You go talk to her. Things go great. She's funny. You think this girl is the best. What idiots everyone else around me is for letting this girl just sit there. I can't believe I just hit the jackpot and land this female. And ladies, I know plenty of men out there that are bad. So vice versa to toxic guy at the bar. But at least for me being a male perspective, I'll use a female here. But trust me, men are just as bad ladies. I get it. Probably actually worse. Anyway, and then you realize quickly over time, days and weeks and months, oh my God, this girl sucks. She's toxic. She's insane. She's unstable. And you realize, oh, that's why she was single. That's why no one was talking to her. That's why she can't hold down a man. That is James Harden. James Harden sitting by himself. Oh, look, look this guy can score. This guy's going to be a facilitator. Look, we put him with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. He'll just dish the ball left and right, get this offense running, and we're going to go to the, to the NBA Finals, no problem about it. And as soon as you get James Harden on your team, you realize, oh, my God, we made a mistake. This guy shrinks in the postseason. This guy is selfish. He cares about himself. He's not a team guy. He's a me guy. And this guy, you know what, he's going to do what he wants. He wants to party the night before a playoff game. He's going to do so. He doesn't care what you say. He wants to just wake up one day and say, you know what? I love LA, but... Not anymore. I want to go back home to Houston. Trade me to the Rockets. And he's going to sandbag his way out of L.A. Like he sandbagged his way out of Houston, out of Brooklyn, and now out of Philly. I I was any NBA team would not touch James Harden with a 30-foot pole. There is not an offer the Sixers could make where I would say, yes, that's a win. That works for me. James Harden brings zero positives to any NBA team I think it's a flat-out big-time mistake for anyone. But now, especially as we're seeing with the Clippers, bringing him on your roster. So the drama is going to continue. I don't know how James Harden is going to get his way out of Philly, by the way. Like, we've seen him. Okay, so in Houston, we know the James Harden playbook. Houston, he partied during training camp, showed up fat. Fat suit, not still up for debate, but showed up fat and was partying during training camp. Got him out of town. Brooklyn, he just quit. He just half-assed it on the court, didn't try, didn't care, and didn't hide the fact that he was not trying. And that got him out of Brooklyn. I mean, the playbook has been exhausted already. If you're Harden, okay, he's going to miss a practice. Again, it's still training camp. What does that actually matter? Nothing. I think for him, if he wants to force his way out of Philly, if he wants to make this ugly, because I also think Daryl Morey, we saw him with the Ben Simmons negotiations. Daryl Morey's not afraid to be uncomfortable. And he waited three quarters of the year until the you know the final trade deadline date to ironically get James Harden and trade away Ben Simmons. So I don't think Daryl Morey's going to have a problem with being uncomfortable. So missing a practice is not going to be a problem for Daryl Morey. I think if you truly want to push Morey, if you're Harden, get out of town ASAP, you got to start shooting on your own basket. I'm not kidding. Score points on your own net. Really tank it to where if you get the ball, you're dribbling the other direction and laying the ball in for the other team. Pass on the ball, giving them a free breakaway. Shooting threes on your own net. You truly have to lean into being an ultimate bad guy, ultimate teammate, and maybe that will get you out of Philly in an expedited way versus missing a practice or showing up fat. So there you go, James Harden. Free advice for you. You want to get out of town? Wait till the first regular season game. Get the ball and start scoring on your own hoop. And then see how uncomfortable Daryl Morey uh, gets when you start contributing to losses. Okay. It is time to get to it. The one-third of the way. It sounds rings off the top of, uh, you know, ringing right there. One-third of the way, reassessing NFL Super Bowl contenders. Before the year, Either there were five teams and only five teams, that could win a Super Bowl. In the AFC, Bengals, Bills, Chiefs. In the NFC, 49ers and the Eagles. Now that we are six games in, I need to add three teams to that list. The Lions, the Dolphins, and the Jaguars. I'll be honest, the Dolphins, I was skeptical about Tua's health. And we still have, again, 11 games to go. So still a large sample size left, and unfortunately for Tua, one hit could change the trajectory of what we're talking about right now. But he is playing so well, this offense is too unstoppable to where I can't leave him off this list. I absolutely just cannot. This is truly an unstoppable offense. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, They're running the ball as well. They're not just beating you in the air. They're not just one-dimensional. They are killing you on the ground, through the air. I have no idea what's coming. They have been absolutely tremendous. So the Dolphins are a team right now that I absolutely, a third of the way through the year, did not have them on my preseason Super Bowl winner list. That now I absolutely have to add to the list. The Lions. They're playing great. My big question for the Lions this year was not about Jared Goff. It was about their defense. Could Detroit's defense take a step up from last year, actually a big step up, multiple steps up, this year to get on a Super Bowl-caliber level where they can slow down, at least compete with Philly's offense and with the 49ers' offense? And so far through six games, my answer is yes. My answer is yes. They've done a really good job defensively, They had a really strong finish to the second half of last year defensively, including that finale in Green Bay. And now we're seeing they picked it up from last year and gotten better this year. Aiden Hutchinson is quickly becoming one of the most unstoppable defensive ends in the game, and there's a lot of them. He's quickly rising up the ranks. The secondary's done a good job as well. They're playing some sound, hard-nosed football. And Jared Goff has just continued to be Jared Goff. He doesn't have to be a hero. He is a point guard. Where he is just distributing to the five, six, seven legitimate weapons they have on offense. And he's throwing to the open guy. Keeping it simple. And that's why this Lions team right now is looking really good. Playing really good. And why they have made the list of Super Bowl contenders. And finally, it was a little bit of a slow start for Jacksonville. You start 1-2, and yeah, your door's blown off by the Texans at home. Yeah, a little bit of a concern. But to their credit, they are now these last two weeks showing their potential. Beat the Bills in Buffalo, or not, I should say, beat the Bills in London, and now smoke the Colts. Colts are not very good, especially without Anthony Richardson. But they do, to bad teams, what good teams do. Beat them. Bury them. That's what Jacksonville did. Trevor Lawrence now is really starting to heat up utilizing multiple weapons in the pass game, which I think is really, again, really effective and really key. They have a lot of weapons that could hurt you. Run game is working. Defense is physical, tough. And you got a championship-level head coach in Doug Peterson. Strong second half of the year last year led to a playoff win, that epic comeback over uh, the Chargers. And now, again, after a little bit of a slow start, maybe they're feeling themselves a little bit. There's a lot of excitement and hype for Jacksonville coming into this season. They, I think, are now starting to round into form where I feel comfortable and confident putting them on the same list as the Bills, Bengals, Chiefs, 49ers, Eagles, and now Lions, Dolphins, where the Jaguars are. Absolutely a Super Bowl contender. And that's great, by the way. Look, look at that. We have 8 out of 32 teams, I think, legitimately can win a Super Bowl this year. That's tremendous parity. That is tremendous parity in this NFL that does make... Again, each and every week, exciting and unpredictable. We're seeing that a lot in college football for the first time in a long time this year. And now we're truly seeing it in the NFL this season as well. Okay, when we return, speaking of college football, I want to revisit some preseason takes and maybe give you some redos as we're at the halfway point of the college football season, including, I got to change my national championship pick. I'll tell you who that is when we return. It's Ryan Hickey with you on CBS Sports Radio.